Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week our goal is to simply get a better understanding of God's Word, the Bible. We hope you will get reading this amazing book and join us on this exciting journey. And now, here's your host, Pastor Mark Miner. Well, welcome. I sure hope you're having a great day today. Uh, We're going to be looking at at the book of Ezra, the 15th book in uh, the Bible. And this is Mark Miner, and this is episode 76 of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you for stopping by, checking in, pushing that button, hitting your app, whatever it is, however you access this information Uh, And I do hope and pray that it is useful information, that there is teaching going on for you. But I'm just thankful that you're listening. I I had a listener not too long ago, and by the way, you can connect with me at the 24minutebible at gmail.com, the 24-minute Bible. Uh, But uh, if... uh, if you want to get in touch with me, but I had a lady just recently who said, oh, I love your podcast so much. I I really enjoy them. I put them on at night before I go to bed, and as I go to sleep, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, huh, is that a good thing? May, uh, well, I don't know. I'll let you decide, but uh, she was evidently enjoying it, and the podcasts were at least useful for putting her to sleep, perhaps, if not informing her as we make our journey through this incredible book called the Bible. So uh, thank you. Stay awake if you're driving right now, please. Uh, Turn it off if I'm putting you to sleep. But we are looking at the book of Ezra. We have a ton of things to cover today. Ezra is a book with just 10 chapters, but it's so important because it fits right into uh, sort of a connecting point uh, in the history of the Bible and the history of the Jews leading up to the New Testament. A few things about Ezra. Ezra was a priest. Ezra lived in Persia. And Ezra uh, was responsible for helping to organize the tours that go back to Jerusalem and begin to reestablish this country, this nation, this culture, and most importantly, the temple uh, that the Jews had lost. Let me give you a little bit of background here, a little bit of reminder. Uh, at the end of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, uh, the books that we've just covered, we find that the temple is lying in ruins. And the children of Israel, the northern kingdom, had been scattered about a hundred years earlier, those ten tribes. But the nation or the southern kingdom we know as Judah had been able to exist for about a hundred plus years. Uh, And now they had been captured and they were being, instead of scattered, they were being gathered and taken to Babylon. So as we think about uh, that experience, they were gone. Jerusalem was in ashes. The walls were torn down. The temple was a pile of rubble. And now in the book of Ezra, they are getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. I give you a key phrase each week to try to give you one word or one simple thought about a book. And the key phrase for the book of Ezra is return. Ezra returns. The Jews return. They had been taken away from in captivity to Babylon, Persia, and now they are to return to Jerusalem. So that is our key phrase for today, return. 
return to Jerusalem. Let me alert you to two prophecies that are fulfilled in the book of Ezra as we still cover a few things in the background section before we get to uh, that, uh, the time of the, the four points that we're going to make. Two prophecies. Jeremiah 29.10. Jeremiah was uh, the weeping prophet. He cried because he saw the temple destroyed. He wrote the book of Lamentations, which is a lament. But Jeremiah gave a very profound prophecy. Now, when the Bible gives prophecies, uh, it gives names, it gives dates, it gives specifics, it gives places. I, I read before the book of Nostradamus because my friend said, oh, it's such a great book. And Nostradamus really is about like your horoscope or that piece of paper you pulled out of, of the fortune cookie at uh, your last Chinese dinner uh, at a Chinese restaurant. It's pretty vague. The Bible's not that way. The Bible gives names and dates and people and places and things. Specificity really is uh, to the heart of God. And Jeremiah 29.10 tells us this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to Jerusalem, to this place. Notice how specific that is. 70 years. Now, the temple... Uh, was destroyed in uh, 586 B.C. Uh, so sometimes we don't know where to start and where to stop the 70 years. But I'm going to give you a suggestion here, and that suggestion has to do with something that's based on archaeology, not just on the Bible. The Bible is enough, but archaeology always validates the Bible. And we found, we know that uh, a, a king that we'll talk about more at length in just a moment, a gentleman by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, he gave an edict in 539 B.C. How do we know this? Well, because there is a piece of pottery that is, that is in uh, Great Britain right now. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder. If you go to the Facebook side of the podcast, you'll be able to see this unique, amazing uh, contribution to the Bible found by archaeology, and, and it was found in 1800s, 1879, actually. But it's called the Cyrus Cylinder. It's about eight uh, uh, it's about eight inches around. It is a cylinder. It's baked clay, and it's about 10 inches wide. So it's an eight by 10, if you will, but it's in a circular form, like a rolling pin, only larger. And on this rolling pin, on this cylinder, is written uh, incredible things of uh, the edicts or the names or the desires of what Cyrus, the king of Persia, said. So uh, this, uh, this Cyrus cylinder uh, confirms Jeremiah. Uh, we know from the Cyrus Cylinder that this was said in 539 B.C. If we go backwards 70 years, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon captured Jerusalem in 609 B.C. So from 609 B.C. to 539 B.C., the Edict of Cyrus uh, we have 70 years. I think that is exactly what uh, Jeremiah was talking about. It certainly fulfills with a specific and a hard fact sort of basis the fact that there were 70 years from when the people had lost their autonomy to when they were being restored. 
Now, Nebuchadnezzar, not to get too deep into the weeds here, but Nebuchadnezzar allowed the Jews to stay in Jerusalem for about 25 years. All, he didn't want to burn down the temple or destroy the city. All he wanted was the tax tributes and their obedience. But the Jews uh, would revolt and uh, try intrigue to uh, trick him. And ultimately, Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar had had enough of the Jews, and that's when they came in and destroyed them. But they actually became a vassal state. They became under the rule of uh, Babylon and Persia uh, in 609 B.C., so 70 years. Now, one other prophecy here, and I don't want to labor this point, but it's amazing, Isaiah 44, 28. Isaiah says this, straight from the scriptures, Isaiah 44, 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I, will pl that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, Cyrus will say, let its foundations be laid. Now, it names the name of of Cyrus, C-Y-R-U-S. Okay, big deal. Except that the book of Isaiah was written in 700 B.C., one, over 150 years before Cyrus existed, well before he was born, well before the Persian kingdom uh, was at the state that it is during this period of time in the book of Ezra. So understand God names the person who's going to send the Jews back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And he says that through Isaiah 150 years before the event happens. All this, again, is recorded on the Cyrus Cylinder, and it's something that we have that validates the Bible. So two prophecies, the 70-year prophecy and the fact that it would be a king named Cyrus that would rebuild the city of Jerusalem and lay the foundations of the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that absolutely amazing. So I, Ezra chapter 1 starts off this way. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and here's what the prophecy or the proclamation said. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me, listen to this now, to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Now, Cyrus had no knowledge of all that transpired. He was the king of, at that time, the greatest kingdom uh, on, in existence on the earth, the king, kingdom of Persia. And yet, as Ezra writes, he reminds us or lets us know that Cyrus feels in his heart that he should rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. He also says in verse 3 of Ezra chapter 1, verse 3, any of his people, that will be the Jews among you, may go up to Jerusalem in Judea, and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. In other words, Cyrus is saying, go home. 
And that's really what the Cyrus Cylinder says. It wasn't just the Jews. It was many other countries and cultures. He allowed to go back to their homes to rebuild their nations and their cultures and particularly their temples. So Cyrus fulfills the word of God, whether he knew it or understood it or not. Now, we're still in the background, and we're almost halfway through the podcast here, but, but this, is, I think, is important to set the stage for the, the four quick points we'll make concerning the book of Ezra. Let's talk for just a moment about the Persian kingdom. Uh, the, Persian, the rulers of Persia were very powerful, incredibly wealthy individuals. They ruled a large amount of territory during their reign uh, during this period of time. I'm going to give you some names. Now, names get difficult in the Bible, as we've talked about before, sometimes because they're hard to pronounce, sometimes because we have a name in Greek and in Persian and in Hebrew and in uh, which language is it. So sometimes we get confused, and that happens quite often. And sometimes we have uh, people that have the same names. Now, some of you might own an appliance built by a gentleman by the name of George Foreman. He made something that would cook your hamburgers, and he's made some other things. But if you're old enough to remember, George Foreman once was a boxer. Uh, George Foreman has 12 children. And of those 12 children, four of them are named George. So if you call George Foreman's house and ask for George, uh, you've got a one in five possibility of getting the right one because there's five Georges there. All I'm saying is that as we talk about the kings of Persia, sometimes those type of things happen. Actually, throughout the Bible, sometimes those type of things happen. But I want to give you the names of four Persian kings that pop up throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the places where we're at right now. One of the king's names is Cyrus. We're reading about him quite a bit. He's the edict, one who makes the edict to return the Jews to Persia, uh, from Persia, excuse me, to Jerusalem. Then there's uh, Xerxes, a Persian king. His son, Artaxerxes, a Persian king. And then there's Darius, another Persian king. Now, you may be listening to this, and maybe you are asleep by now, but if you're not, you may be saying, why in the world do I care about all this history? Well, I'm not trying to give you a history lesson, but I want to connect some dots. That's always important with the Bible and certainly with what we do here on this podcast. So uh, what do we know about some of these? Well, we've already talked about Cyrus, and we'll talk about him more in just a second. What do we know about uh, King Xerxes? Hmm. We heard his name before. Well... You might not be familiar with Xerxes, but I bet you you know his wife. Her name is Esther. She has her own book in the Bible. And she is a Jew who married the king of Persia. How about that? Then uh, what about Artaxerxes? What do we know about Artaxerxes, the son of Xerxes? Probably not through Esther, but the son of Artaxerxes. What do we know about Artaxerxes? Well, you don't know much about him, but I guarantee you, you know someone that worked at the palace with him, that someone's name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer, the wine taster, if you will, for the king, and that king was Artaxerxes. Then there's Darius. What do we know about King Darius? Uh, well, Darius made a proclamation, and that proclamation almost cost this gentleman his life. 
That gentleman is Daniel. It was Darius who had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. Now, what I'm saying to you is that all we always we sometimes separate these people out, and they certainly could be separated by years and events and even distances, but there's so many correlations in the Bible as we read through it. And when you re- recognize those correlations, those hookups, those connections, uh, to me it just becomes fascinating. Okay, uh, we've got about uh, eight minutes, ten minutes left here. Let's move on to the key topics for the book of Ezra. One key topic, the first key topic is simply this, uh, rebuilding of the temple. The purpose of Ezra and his uh, general, his commander-in-chief, his his vice president, if you will, uh, Ezra and Zerubbabel, their purpose, their heart goal was to rebuild the temple. And so they went back, and over a period of years, literally decades, but we'll get into that more later on, but uh, they laid the foundation and they began the work on the temple. Now, you may say, why did it take so long to build the temple? Well, we'll talk about that, too, in just a second, but think about some of the interstate projects that you've been on before. They work on them for a while, and then they shut down, and it looks like they go somewhere else, and you wonder, when are they going to finish this thing? And then ultimately, uh, people show up, crews show up, and the whole project hopefully gets finished, uh, probably double over the budget, but nonetheless, it gets finished. Well, uh, that's kind of what happens with the rebuilding of the temple. But that was the purpose, to rebuild the temple. When the temple was completed, there were shouts of joy by some. There, were we- there was weeping at the dedication by others. The weeping was done by the people who had seen the first temple, remembered what it was like. They were the older set, the old guard, if you will. They remembered the beauty of Solomon's temple. The new people who were dedicating the temple, the younger ones, if you will, had never seen the old temple. It was gone before they ever had a chance to see it. And so they were just happy to have a place to worship there in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. So we see the dichotomy, the change in these two people, in these two groups of people. Nonetheless, the temple was in the process of being rebuilt and was dedicated. Point number two, there was opposition from locals. And as you, if you read through the book of Ezra and certainly in Nehemiah next week, as we talk about Nehemiah, you will find that there were people that lived there in the area of Jerusalem. It wasn't just vacant. There were people that lived all around it. And they weren't happy with this new building project. They weren't happy about the Jews coming back and taking their land, so to speak. And so there was opposition. There was harassment. There were letters sent and lawyers hired. And we read about that in the book of Ezra as to all the problems that they had rebuilding the temple. One of the reasons it took so long. A third point, and I think an important one, Uh, This is more my opinion than scholarly uh, evidence, perhaps, but I still want to make it. There was an impact of the Jews among the Persian people. The Jews and the Persians were very tight as they lived among the Persians. Remember, the Babylonians and the Persians, they, they took the best and the brightest back, and they gave them jobs, and they employed them, and they used them, and they learned from them. And the Jews had much to teach. Remember Daniel. He serves under four or five different governments. He's he's in their cabinet. He's a high official. And yet he's a Jew. And, of course, we have Esther who married a king. We have Mordecai who saves the life of Xerxes. 
one of the Persian kings. So we have a good relationship there. And the Jews, of course, bring their books, the Old Testament, at least what they have to that date, as we would see it, the Old Testament. And they're talking about the prophecies, and they're explaining things and understanding that a Messiah is coming, and, and so many uh, facts and things that God had given them up to this date. And the uh, Persians were very interested in any kind of knowledge. Now, you may say, why is this all important? Well, I want to fast forward here to the Christmas story. There's some conjecture about where the wise men came from, whether there was three or 30. We don't know. There were three gifts, uh, but certainly there were a group of, of people that came that were at the birth of Jesus. I'm going to say, and I say this with, with all the confidence in my heart, that these people were Persians. Why would they be coming? Well, they, they liked the Jews. They had a good relationship with the, the Jewish culture. And they had learned from the Jews about Micah, that, that the city of Bethlehem and his star in the east, and so many other things that are prophetic. They knew about all of that, so they're looking for it. And when the things begin to happen in, in an in astronomy sort of way, and, and, by, and they, were, they were magicians, and they were soothsayers, and, and they were magi, they were all those things wrapped into one. So it's not a surprise to me that they were looking for the one who would be born king the Jews, and they show up at Bethlehem uh, that Christmas time. So there was a, a good relationship among the Jews and the Persian people because of perhaps some intermarrying, we certainly have that, but just because they both were a very learned people and desirous to know more, and the Jews and the Persians really got along well. And so as they go back, Cyrus is responsible for that. He even gives them money to rebuild the temple and protection to rebuild the temple. So the temple is being rebuilt, ultimately, of course, for the coming of the King of Kings, the Messiah. We know him as Jesus. Now, the last point of today's episode is we talk about the 15th book in the Bible, the book of Ezra, the book of return, returning. But as we think about that, this fourth point is important because it's been misused so often. And that has to do with the sin of intermarriage. When you look at the last uh, two, three chapters, uh, you'll notice that the children of Israel repent for intermarrying. Now, there have been some preachers, pastors, uh, others that just wanted to use this for their own misguided or even evil bent. And I want to say to you, they were absolutely wrong. God is not interested in ethnicities. We have Ruth. She was a Moabitess, and she was the great-great-grandmother of King David. Rahab, who's also in the line of Jesus, was a Canaanite. And Moses marries a, a Canaanite or a Midianite, excuse me, a Midianite or a Cushite woman, uh, not of the Jewish race. God's not interested. He wasn't worried about the ethnicities of the people that the, the, that the Jews were marrying. He was very much interested that they hold to the faith of the Jews. Remember when Moses came into the promised land and Joshua, uh, the danger, he, they were told to drive out all the pagans. Why? Because if you don't get rid of the pagans as you settle in this country and they're getting ready to resettle again, if you don't do that, your sons are going to see that their daughters are really cute, they're really sweet, they're really hot, they're very, yeah, all that, and they'll start marrying them. And before long, what happens we're going to compromise our religion. We're going to compromise our faith. And the, the very thing that brought the first temple down 
would be the, the very thing that would bring the second temple down if they were intermarrying people of different faith. And that's what Ezra was talking about. Not color of skin, not ethnicity, but what do you believe? If you'll remember, Ruth said to her mother-in-law, Ruth being a Moabite and, and uh, <clears throat> Naomi being a Jew, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And that confession uh, allowed Ruth the Moabite to become part of the holy lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Because it's never been about ethnicity. It's always been about faith and belief. I hope that makes sense to you. And we're going to close out uh, this uh, podcast together with a memory verse. And I always give you a memory verse. And I, I know it may be difficult to, to, for you to memorize, but I'd sure encourage you to at least begin to let God's word, hide it in your heart, let it saturate into your soul. And my goal in this, uh, in this year of going through the Bible is to give you at least one verse from each book that you could hold on to. So when the book is mentioned, you could say, oh, yes, and recite part of that verse. Well, I'm going to give you Ezra chapter 9, verse 6. Excuse me, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra 7, 10. And this is what it says. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Ezra, the priest, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And when we begin to hide God's word in our heart, it transforms our thought processes. It actually genuinely, in a physiological sense, realigns our brain. There's actually a physiological change within our brain when God's word begins to abide therein. So I just simply encourage you to find memory verses that you can uh, that you can that could become part of your life just as much as your phone number or your social security number or anything else that automatically comes out let god's word be your first response coming out of your mouth you'll find that it will supplant some of the things that ought not be coming out of your mouth okay uh, enough for that except to close by saying go to the there's a lot of pictures and maps and timelines on the facebook side of the 24 minute bible podcast i just encourage you to go there uh, and you can see some things that will supplement uh, your lesson for today on the book of ezra now next week we go to nehemiah in the hebrew bible ezra and nehemiah were one book in the english bible we break them off into two and next week we're going to talk about Nehemiah and his amazing book, the 16th book of the Old Testament. Thank you. I hope you're still awake. Are you? Shout out at me if you're awake right now, okay? Okay, I hear some of you. Thank you very much. Hey, next week, Nehemiah, have a blessed week. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.